VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right. And good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Wednesday, May the 11th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's producing the program today. We're looking forward to speaking with you. Of course we are. If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air is 273-5211, or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, one 888 590-VOCM, which is 8626, and happy McHappy Day to you today. Today's McHappy Day. Great excuse for supporting Ronald McDonald House with a little potential feed for lunch. Everything in moderation, right? All right, last night at Mary Brown Center, the Growlers dropped a 3-1 decision to the Reading Royals, now trail the series two games to one. The fourth game in every series in the 407s is always crucial, so a big bounce back needed tonight. Just snake bit last night, just could not score. And, of course, the Growlers are in the Toronto Maple Leafs franchise hierarchy, and the Leafs win last night. You know, this... Toronto Maple Leafs, Tampa Bay Lightning, first round matchup. Really feels like a conference final. But the Leafs scored three in the third. The winner from Austin Matthews, who looked fabulous last night, led the team in hits, scores the winning goal. And the Leafs win 4-3 to take a 3-2 series lead, which is, of course, exciting for a lot of Toronto Maple Leaf fans around here who are watching the game on pins and needles. Oh, quick Garotos mention. Whoever's stealing the Growlers' flags from the Newfoundland Embassy and a fun little pub across the street from Mary Brown Center, knock it off. Apparently, every time they put one up, someone steals it. I guess they'd steal the eyes out of, the, out of your head if they could. All right, so curious one on the National Hockey League front. We just mentioned the Leafs are up, and that's good. You know, I'm not a Leaf fan, but I'm not one of the Leaf haters. You know, actually it makes it a little bit more interesting because my Leaf buddies will remain interested in the playoffs. So anyway, they're up. Also last night in the NHL, for those of you who are concerned... <laughs> The Montreal Canadiens won the lottery to get the first pick overall. A couple of strange things associated here. Now, too bad it's not next year when Connor Bedard is available. The consensus number one pick at this moment in time is a centerman from the Ontario Hockey League. His name is Shane Wright. He plays for the Kingston Frontenacs. Uh, 94 points this year in 63 games, including 32 goals. Anyway... It's the first time since 1980 that the Montreal Canadiens have had the first pick. Now, they were dismal this year. Worst, worst record in the league, right? But here's a couple of curious things. So the Habs, not only is it the first time since 1985 where the team hosting the draft has had the first pick, and at that time it was the Toronto Maple Leafs, four other players have been selected first overall by the Canadians in club history. A couple of them worked out. The late, great Guy Lafleur, first overall in 1971. Ray Jean Houle in 1969. Two good players, to say the very least. Michael Laplace in 1968 and Gary Monaghan in the very first draft ever in 1963. Here's where it gets weird. Every first overall pick the Canadians have ever had, the draft was held in Montreal. And last night when the tabs were seen as to be the number one pick, the reaction from Commissioner Gary Bettman was really quite weird. I don't even know what to make of it. Now, I'm being told that the draft is rigged, even though it was on live television. I don't know. I mean, I'm not in the room, but Montreal gets the first pick. What do you think? But every time they've had the first pick, the draft just so happens to be in Montreal. All right. There we go. Uh, what else do I have here? Let's keep going. So today, 118 years ago, in 1904, Salvador Dali was born. Of course, known for the striking and bizarre images, he's a bizarre cat himself, likely the most famous surrealist painter in history. He described his style as nuclear mysticism. But here's some strange things about the legendary Dali. He firmly believed he was the reincarnation of his dead brother. Uh, okay. 
he had a real wild, unscrupulous obsession with money. He bought his wife a castle, but he needed her written permission to visit. Some of his sexual proclivities are well understood as well. He was on What's My Line one time. He had a real bizarre fascination or obsession with Hitler, right? Uh, just the strangest kind of cat was Salvador Dali, born today in 1904. And one more mention on the art world, as if I'm in the art world. On Monday, at Christie's Oxen House in New York, Andy Warhol's Shot Sage Blue Maryland. Can you picture it? So it's his portrait, an up-close, vibrant close-up of uh, Marilyn Monroe, 1964 silk screen image. She's got the yellow hair, the eyeshadow was blue, the lips were red, and a rich blue background. It sold at auction for $195 million. It's the most expensive work ever sold by U.S. artists of all time. So, wow. Here the spokesperson from Christie say, well, it just proves that we have a very resilient art market. Well, la ti da while so many other regular folk are concerned with the most mundane issues like putting some gas in your vehicle, $195 million for a painting. Very good. All right, also this one here today, of course, would be quite boring for many. It was today, back in 1927, that the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences was founded. And of course, they are now celebrating their annual Oscar Awards, which is really quite boring, just in my personal opinion. And good news, Kelly Lauder, She's made it to the final of Canada's Got Talent. She is an immense talent. She really, truly is. Now, I once tried to claim her as a townie. She's originally from Botwood. So, Kelly Loader, off to the finals in Canada's Got Talent. There you go. All right, moving on to some other, maybe more pressing issues of the day for you. So, today in Stavanger, Norway, Equinor is going to be holding their annual general meeting. So, Equinor is, of course, the proponent behind the Beta Nor project. You'll keep an ear to the ground and see what kind of mention is made of that particular project. We know they've said their break-even money is about $35 a barrel, and we're well in excess of that, so it just remains to be seen what kind of sanctioning date may be in place in the negotiation between the province and Equinor about equity stakes and jobs to be done here. You know all the deal. Then there's still some work to be done about who's going to pay the royalties to the United Nations because the project is outside the economic protective zone. We've got some five years to figure that out, but that's going to be hundreds of millions of dollars. You know full well they're not going to broach that at the AGM today, but there you go. They're also going to put forward their energy transition plan, and it's going to be voted on today at the AGM. It includes reducing greenhouse gas emissions to 50% of 2015 levels, reducing net carbon intensity by 20% by 2030 and 40% by 2035, at the goal of more than 50% by 2030. So it's not just governments and individuals and activists and the Sierra Clubs of the world talking about a transition or just transition. The oil companies are talking about it too. And they're enjoying enormous wealth. Another big uh, first quarter profit boom yesterday for Suncor. We've been talking about it because while we all try to pretend that the politicians are jacking up all these prices, corporate profitability, 70-year high. Just wanted to put that out there. So anyway, they're going to uh, be talking about maybe Beta Nord at the AGM for Equinor today. And this, I think, is good news and probably an example of when politicians actually hear the people. Now, the Minister of Digital Government and Service and Health, Sarah Studley, says they are going to amend the Petroleum Products Act in an effort to make the PUB, the Public Utilities Board, more transparent in how they evaluate or adjudicate and change the price of fuels. 
Excellent idea. So at this moment in time, we don't hear anything from the PUB beyond a news release. They don't do interviews. So now they're going to have to present a clear breakdown of the maximum retail and wholesale fuel prices when the amendments are made, minimum and maximum markup, and price components like whatever's included, transportation, storage, distribution, all on the table. There's also going to need to be public hearings about the price of fuel. This is all very good news. Right? Even if we don't get the answers we want, just to have someone who's responsible for the regulated pricing of fuels to be transparent, to be accountable, to be uh, heard in a public hearing. Questions being asked by Dennis Brown or anyone else gets intervener status. I guess the big question would be, because I see a couple of emails saying, well, the PUB needs to talk about taxes. Well, the PUB is not involved in the taxes. It's the other way they evaluate it. But the big question, I think, is whether or not regulated gas prices have actually been a savings for the consumers. It's not regulated across the, pro- across the country. Now, every province has a regulator doing different things. But regulated gas price, is it serving our best interest? I don't know the answer to that question, but it'd be nice to hear an explanation from the PUB when that question is posed to them. You know, people say abolish the Public Utilities Board. It has absolutely played a critically important role, no doubt about it. But when we have the looming Muskrat Falls project, and we know the government has amended Bill 61 to do away with the wind wind moratorium that's been in place since 2007, and Bill 60, notably, removes the PUB with any authority to set hydro bills when the Muskrat Muskrat Falls project comes on stream. Now... Can't set prices associated directly with Muskrat Falls. So big questions will be, and I got an email again overnight saying I should be ashamed of myself for talking about the PUB like this. Well, to be honest with you, I feel no shame in talking about the PUB like this because we need answers. So with Bill 60 and Muskrat Falls, with the question looming about regulated gas price, whether or not that's in my best interest and your best interest, what will be the role, the structure of the Public Utilities Board. I'm not saying abolish it. I just think we should ask a few more questions because sometimes these quasi-independent or quasi-judicial boards, we just sort of take for granted why they're there, what they do, and the outcomes from public hearings, setting hydro rates, and insurance, the issues regarding insurance and all the rest of it. So anyway, the PUB, I think that's a good move by the government because why shouldn't we get answers on something that is just so critically important and impacts every single person in the province? All right, there you go. We asked the question yesterday as to whether or not the price of gas in particular is impacting the bookings on Marine Atlantic. They say they've seen some cancellations. They're going to continue to monitor it. But the booking numbers are extremely strong. So there's been over 22,000 bookings for trips between the 15th of June and the 15th of September. For comparison, in 2021 at the same time, there was 3,400 passenger trips booked. In 2020, it was 760. In the pre-pandemic year in 2019, there was around 10,000. So 22,000 is a massive number. And very good news. I know many of you out there think that come home year is ridiculous and what have you. But I don't think the industry and I don't think the towns that are going to welcome visitors think it's ridiculous. But that number is especially strong. So curious to hear more from Atlantic as we move forward to figure out how the season's going to play out and if you want to talk about it, whether it's just a, a, an observer as a citizen, if you're working in the hospitality or tourism industry, whether or not you're going to put your vehicle on Toro, which is going to be active in this province. That's the car sharing application by the 17th of this month. So we can take it all on if you are interested in it. And one of the squabbles that came on the heels of the most recent provincial budget about public transportation is the issue regarding free bus passes on Metrobus. 
The government was putting forward $1.9 million. The city of St. John said it needed $2.1 million, especially because of the expansion for who, those who would be eligible. The money's now there, $2.1 million. It's a good thing. They've expanded the free bus pass from people who are on income support to also include the province's youth, or pardon me, youth, that are receiving youth services program support here in the region. They're going to get a free bus pass. That's through consultation with their social worker. Also, seniors re- uh, receiving a guaranteed income supplement can also avail of a pass. Passes will begin to be issued on the 1st of June. Now, I know that is an absolutely proper towny issue. The concept of public transportation in the vast majority of the province is is a non-starter. Why? Because it's not there. But has the time come when we look at car sharing, car pooling, and the price of fuels? Is it time to try to start a conversation about what public transportation might look like in other parts of the province? The concept of the hub and spoke, a centralized region for where the public transportation will be held or housed, and then the spokes in different directions to service people, whether it be for your weekly trip into the closest big retail shop, whether it be for medical appointments, whether it be to visit family and friends. You know, is there a way, pragmatically, and we know there's some population challenges and massive massive geography to to, uh, traverse, but is there more can be done there? You know, if it's convenient, people might use it, even though there's still... The whole concept of Metrobus is the loser cruiser. Only losers ride the bus, which is simply not true. In the rest of the country, people take public transportation. You could have the pauper sitting next to someone wearing a $5,000 suit. So anyway, you want to talk about whether or not public transportation outside of the heavily populated Avalon Peninsula is realistic and can be dealt with. I don't know. Also, we've had a lot of conversations, and many people sending me emails with information about the River Guardian, uh, the River Guardians. Pretty important. They're a peace officer. They have the same authority as a wildlife officer, for instance. It's a private contract. Sea Watch has it this year. It's about a five million dollar value. It's funded by DFO, but we are nowhere where we need to be. And we know the prevalence of poaching in this province, so the big one would be extending the season to some six months so they can cover the entirety of when the nuisance poachers will indeed be involved in that nefarious behavior. And also, I see this blog posting from CNL. It's about a Portuguese offshore factory freezer dragger. For the fifth time in six years, has been accused of illegal fishing on or near the Grand Banks. What it does drive home is not only we know it happens all the time, but it points to the joke that is the toothless NAFO. So they get cited and fined, and what do they do? They just do nothing. They keep behaving the way they're behaving. So they were boarded, and it was found on board. The, they were given a notice of infringement, misreporting of the catch, not having the supporting documentation for the, from the inspection and infringement to, uh, forwarded to the European Union for investigation and follow-up. Blech. We do virtually nothing. You know, someone would say, time for Captain Canada, Mr. Tobin, to fire another salvo from the wharf in St. John's about what goes on, because NAFO is completely, absolutely useless. We talk about the spat between the inshore and the offshore, and the type of gear, and the trip limits, and the price-setting panel annually, and all the things we fight about every single year in the fishery. If we had adjacency as the guiding principle, and some controls of the foreign fishing fleets, we would have far fewer spats about buddy up and bycatch and all the other issues that need to be dealt with. But for God's sake, the amount of quota that's been divvied up 
and shared with foreign nations is absolutely ridiculous. When you look for more information from NAFO, there's a willingness, or pardon me, a lack of willingness to release it because it would be injurious to the conduct of international relations. So basically, too bad about you. While the federal government needs to have proactive trade relations and diplomatic relations with other countries, we are quite willing to bend over backwards, give them what they want, and do nothing to enforce the rules that are actually on the books. I get it. We have to be part of the international community and protect our relationships because they are important. But it can't be at the loss of an industry which has been historically, while we're here, is a billion-dollar-plus landed value industry just in Snow Crab alone this year. There's going to be landings in excess of a million dollars. But NAFO, Oh, boy. Anyway, I won't talk about it. Uh, we can do it. How are we doing on the phone, Dave? There's a bunch of other stuff I wanted to get to, but maybe we'll get to the calls earlier than later here today. It's in the home stretch for the kindergarten to grade 12 school year. Let's have some conversation about what's happening and how you feel about your child's preparedness and what you've seen in your child's classroom throughout the school year and what your needs are for the home stretch. Teacher review, the teacher allocation review, whatever you want to talk about. But here it comes. Nice and warm today, and weather weather warms, and we'll have the annual discussion about what is or what is not appropriate attire. Again, it's an annual conversation. It always pops up, and I think we should talk about it. And I, this probably makes me an old fuddy-duddy, but I'm still a proponent of the school uniform. <laughs> I know I'm in the slim minority, which I don't really understand why, but I am. I think the school uniform really does level the playing field on an awful lot of fronts in the schools. Maybe it's just because I grew up wearing one. Okay, we're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. You can follow us there. Our email address is openlineofvocm.com. And a tunage, maybe because it's a nice, sunny, and there's been, actually a bit of heat in the sun here today. In 1964, the Beach Boys released this single, I Get Around. When we come back, let's go. And welcome back to the program. Uh, Matt, I just cannot get it straight with Kelly Lauder. <laughs> She's not from town. She's not from Botwood. <laughs> She's from Badger. Okay, so Badger, Botwood, Burgio, BC, which of course behind Carbon Air. Anyway, she's from Badger. Okay, let's go. Line number one. Brian, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you today? I'm well this morning. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. I'm uh, traveling. I, I called in because I just got off the ferry a little while ago in uh, North Sydney after traveling across Newfoundland yesterday. Right. And everyone is talking about uh, making all kinds of. Uh, comments about the gas prices in Newfoundland. Well, I just like wanted to phone in and just voice my opinion on the fact that I just gassed up in North Sydney and gas is 27 cents a litre cheaper across the Gulf in Cape Breton than it is anywhere in on the island of Newfoundland. Yeah, I was reading about gas prices, well, just because we talk so much about gas. I saw the minimum price in Cape Breton, 192.9, if I remember correctly, yeah. and yet we're paying 217-ish. Yes, and so, you know, that's quite a difference from one province to another especially in a rural area like Cape Breton. But I, I just, uh, I'm involved with a committee in Hearts Content uh, back at home and uh, working on Come Home Year and things like that to encourage tourism to come into the area and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And just traveling across Newfoundland uh, with the price of gas 
and the cost of the ferry right now for me to come over here to do some visiting before the summer starts for family and whatnot. I just can't understand how people are going to be able to afford to come into Newfoundland and enjoy any kind of a vacation with the way things are right now. And the fact that uh, two years people are saying, well, staycation, staycation, stay home and this and that, that's not going to... Uh, support all of these communities that are hoping to have a successful come home years and all the businesses that are hoping to get back on their feet. Well, I, I understand that. Let's hope that many of the potential visitors don't check the price of gas. So Marine Atlantic bookings, where I guess you should look for whether or not we can anticipate a strong season, the bookings are massive. So, yep. you know, they do report they've seen and heard some cancellations, and they quote price of gas as the reason why. But the numbers of people that are booked for passage between the middle of June and the middle of September is extremely strong. And let's hope it remains that way. But you're right, the disparity, you know, we can't put it all to the side and say, well, we're an island, and distribution is the issue. Well, we're paying that five cents for distribution here. That five cents goes directly to Silver Peak. That's why I asked the question off the top is whether or not regulated gas prices are actually working for me. And if not, why not? And if they're not and can be proven so, then why are we doing it? Yeah, and I think that uh, uh, provincial government and federal governments have to look at their taxing, you know, like uh, when you look at the amount of road tax that is being thrown onto gasoline and whatever to support highways and whatnot. And right now, just driving through Cape Breton, the drive across Newfoundland, I would not recommend anyone to do it at night. There's not a line on the road that's visible anywhere. Uh, if you get any amount of inclement weather and fog, and especially at nighttime, you're, it's terrible driving. And the road conditions are terrible from from leaving yesterday in Hearts Tent to drive to Port of Bass, the roads are just atrocious. Yeah, well, and unfortunately, that's nothing new. Uh, I, I'm glad you called this morning, Brian. I wish you safe travels and hope you enjoy your visiting on the other side. Well, I hope you're right about the fact that uh, people, I know that when we were booking to return as early as uh, the end of May, there was no cabins available and things like that on night crossing. Right. So I'm hoping that that stays that way and all the communities throughout Newfoundland that are looking forward and the businesses especially in those communities do have a successful year because like I said they can't depend on just vacation anymore you've got to get people into the province Absolutely. Um, nothing like right. nothing like money from out of province to circulate to jack up the economy a bit as opposed to we just spend our own money in different corners of the province. Absolutely right. Yeah. But I just wanted your listeners to know that there is a vast difference even from Port of Basque over to Cape Breton in the price of gas. Twenty seven cents a liter is a lot of money. Well, we're third in the country behind only Victoria and Vancouver, and that's a very distinctly weird comparison. They are really heavily taxed in B.C. on that front. But I appreciate the time, Brian. Thanks for the call. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. You know, you mentioned the federal government and taxes there. Yes, people point to the carbon tax. It's 11 cents. So you haul that out, we're still way out of whack, right? And the other federal tax is the federal excise tax, and it's 10 cents. And that has been in place since 1995. Hasn't been changed from 10 cents, that federal excise tax, since then. And so that was... Krecha. The excise tax on diesel is 4 cents. And that was brought in in 1987 under Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. So nothing has changed on that front. It's the provincial tax at 14.5. That really is a concern for many. And the 5 cents for Silver Peak, and on and on it goes. Let's get Lindy before we go to the break. Lindy, line two, you're on the air. Good morning, buddy. Morning to you. 
Did you watch the global news last evening? No, I did not, sir. On, on the gas prices and, and uh, what's going on. Anyway, they said that uh, the uh, oil companies have increased or augmented their profits doubled and some even tripled in the last in the first quarter of this year. Right. And people who have uh, shares, whatever, with those with the with the oil companies, have told the oil companies, "Do not increase your production. We're clean there." Now, who the hell is 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 right here? You know that the government got this put five cents put on, and that five cents put on. The put on is with the oil companies. No product. You 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 decrease your production like anything. You decrease your production and you raise your prices. It's manipulated market. We all know that to be it true. It is, yes, exactly. Yeah, it is. But you ask the question, who's right? I mean, the the company isn't beholden to me, to you, unless we hold shares. They're beholden to their shareholders, and they, of course, they will do predominantly what shareholders want because that's what drives their revenues, right? So exactly. I mean, Suncor yesterday posted massive numbers. Shell the day before, nine point one billion dollars in profits in the first quarter. I mean, compared to just over three billion the year prior, they beat the analysts on the streets' uh, predictions where they'd be. So you're right. We've got politicians playing silly games, and all we are doing is taking our eye off the prize. We can talk about Trudeau and Biden and whoever, Macron and all the rest of the folks that people don't like and their contribution to inflation and the Bank of Canada is financially illiterate and blah, blah, blah. The companies are the root cause for these prices. The end. Yeah, the end is right. You're right there because, like I said, they're, they're, they're cleaner. Absolutely. And all you got to do is create a sort of shortage. That's all you got to do with anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Well, free market capitalism, you know, for even if you uh, have very little understanding of the marketplace, which I don't pretend to have a big understanding of it, supply and demand will drive a lot of issues and will drive a lot of costs. And the amount of pent-up demand and the amount of money seeking out reduced numbers of goods there, we can talk about inflation and housing prices and all the rest of it. But the oil companies are making off like bandits. And if you want, to, if if you're going to bill somebody, bill the oil companies, drag some more tax out of them. We subsidize oil companies. Not, not the people, not us guys. Give us like I said, take it out of those guys. They're the ones that make the money. Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, corporate taxation is. It's a good, I think it's a good conversation. And, you know, whether people think it's globalism or whatever ism they like to throw at it, cooperation between first world modern countries to ensure that companies just don't float from this country to that country chasing the lowest tax regime. If there was a, a ceiling or, pardon me, a floor for corporate tax in the modern world, which there is and there is and there will be in the future, uh, that's a good thing for all of us. So I don't begrudge the increase in tax conversation. Progressive tax regimes have to include people paying their fair share. Now, individuals is a much different conversation than it is corporations but yeah they're making it off pretty well and we are paying for it through the nose yes sir and that's 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 where you get your news is, is the global news at seven o'clock <laughs> thanks that's for listening news. that's where you get your news the world news okay yeah not not uh, what's happening on water street <laughs> why why wouldn't we be concerned with what happens in our own backyard I, no, I'm not saying that. 
That's not what I'm saying. Well, there should be an interest in that too, as far as that goes. Yes, but I'm talking about if, if you want to get the news, the news of the world. I'm talking about yeah, not I, the news of Newfoundland. Sure, I watch BBC more often than anything else. But anyway, thanks for this, Lindy. Off I go. Uh, yes, sir. Way to go. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, so, a couple people chiming in. Uh, one listener says, gas costs me uh, less than 150 bucks to $200 a month. If I go on vacation, the share of my spending on gas is probably less than I pay for motels, rental car, meals, activities. It's not the determining factor for whether I say or go. That's one person, right? And good for you if, if this is not a concern for you. But I would suggest for the vast majority of people... That determines the price, whether it be about the cost of a rental car, the cost of gas, the cost of passage on Marine Atlantic, the cost of flights. People factor in everything, I think, when they look at whether or not they can afford something. And Dave says all markets are manipulated, pretty much. You know, look, even the stock market being the benchmark for how the economy is doing in some people's minds. Goodness gracious, if the stock market had to pay out every shareholder the value of every share, we'd quickly find out that there's a lot of made up to that as well. Let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're speaking with you. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number three. So Kyle Duty, he's an engineer in residence with the Memorial's Faculty of Engineering. He coordinates a program called Student Design Hub, and they've got a Shark Tank Field Showcase coming up this month on the 18th, and Kyle joins us on line number three. Good morning, Kyle. You're on the air. Good morning, sir. How are you? Excellent today. Thanks. How about you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm happy to do it. I'm actually quite interested in this. Before we get into the showcase, what people are going to see and feel, what exactly is the Student Design Hub? Sure, Patty. Uh, so the Student Design Hub uh, it basically came out of uh, a bunch of students in the last couple of years being really successful in international competitions. So uh, if you think back a couple of years, we had the Hyperloop Project, which was, um, you know, a bunch of students went down to uh, California. They participated in the Elon Musk competition. And, and then we had a bunch of small tech, we had tech startups starting to kind of bridge out of the students who participated in that. Uh, one of them being Colab Software, for example. Yeah. Um, so the success that we saw from that, so all these students getting this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, building this confidence, developing cutting-edge technologies, and they were doing that working out of a, uh, a warehouse in CBS, running back and forth to St. John's to a, a machine shop in here trying to get their project done. So this project kind of got dreamed up as, uh, what if we had the resources right at their fingertips? And um, so that's what the Student Design Hub is. We've got a 1,700-foot square a 1700 square foot space on the first floor of the engineering building here at the Munn campus and the intent is any student group who wants to tackle one of these extracurricular projects can come and take advantage of our space they can make use of our resources and I'm here every step of the way to kind of help them through however I can so that we can get them to those competitions and, and hopefully start to see more business spin-offs. 100% okay so you've got a little shark tank feel coming up at the showcase what exactly is going to happen on the 18th? So on the 18th, what we've done is uh, all of our student groups are kind of, we're coming out of COVID. Uh, a lot of them haven't been able to travel because of that. And uh, the economy has been down. So it's been, it's been a tough job uh, getting students to find those corporate sponsorships so that they can get that funding they, so they can go to these, these events, right? Uh, so the idea behind this was, was dreamed up by uh, myself and a couple of our, our board members. And the idea is that we're going to get all these sponsors to try and attend this event on the 18th. And then uh, the students are going to get up and they're going to give a five-minute pitch and they're going to sell the room on their project. So uh, we've got 10 international competition teams 
this year, uh, six of them are planning to participate in the competition. So one of them is a dune buggy project. They're going down to New York and they're building a dune buggy from scratch and they're doing endurance racing. Another one uh, is autonomous underwater vehicles, so an autonomous submarine. So that, that group of students who have been working on that project for the last year, uh, putting their blood, sweat, and tears into it, can kind of talk to the sponsors directly and say, here's the skills we're building, here's here's what we're learning, and here's why we think it's important that that you can kind of, you can support us in participating in these types of events. So if I watch Shark Tank on television, the shark will say yay or nay to invest and get an equity stake, put some money behind a project. This is more of an effort to sponsor the teams to be able to go to these international showcases. Is, am I getting yeah. that? Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. So, I mean, any, any uh, of course, we want the sponsors attending to support the student groups, but uh, the idea is that they can have a look at each one of those teams and say, you know what, this team in particular, that's that might be a pipeline for my business in a couple of years. These might be students that I think are building the right skills that I want to hire. So they might systematically choose, well, maybe I want to put a bunch of support behind this one group um, and, and choose that that's the team they want to build that sponsorship connection with. You know, it's one thing, like I know you mentioned Collab Software and Adam Keating and his team. We've we've talked to Adam many times over the years. It's not just putting your idea on the international stage. It's what they get exposed to that's probably equally as important because you might win at the Hyperlink Challenge. You might not get anywhere with your autonomous robot, but you'll see what other like-minded people in different parts of the world, what they're working on, and some of those breakthroughs might be a seed planted by getting exposed to these type of folks in these types of international showcases. Absolutely. I mean, Patty, this, uh, in that vein, this is a passion project for myself. I, I participated in one of these groups when I was a student uh, years ago, and uh, I remember going to a competition in Seattle, and uh, I saw this group that, you know, the local team that, that were hosting, and they had this really intriguing uh, camera setup, and it was able to rotate 360 degrees, and uh, that just blew my mind. Uh, so kind of getting to get to the competition and just realize that, Yes, we're a small university from the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, but we can punch just as hard as anybody, even people from MIT or from Ivy League schools. I mean, that's a huge confidence boost, and, and I think that exposure can really have a big impact on helping students decide to pursue entrepreneurship and, and take challenges and, and take risks that they need to do to kind of build the economy here. I'm glad you said entrepreneurship because we know the great work that's happened at the incubator that is the Genesis Center and the Center for Entrepreneurship. How important is it to co-opt the idea of monetizing your idea because you know it's one thing to have the ingenuity to create the shiny object it's quite another to monetize it and get it out in the marketplace and start to actually put some revenue behind it so how do you focus uh, that with your engineering students because they'll be keenly focused on you know developing something how about the entrepreneurship and what role does that play well uh I, I like to think of myself as, and, and I'm a very new program, Patty, so uh, we're, we're still working on how we can best work our way into supporting our, our local entrepreneur pipelines, but I like to think of myself as a technical uh, pipeline to get students into the entrepreneurship programs. And I sit here as a resource for, let's say a student at the Entrepreneurship Center wants to make something, all these resources I'm making available to these student groups is also available to them. Uh, so. We're kind of starting up a small maker space with the intent of everyone being able to collaborate and work together and um, 
I, I kind of manage things on the how do we get it made size, mm-hmm. but as soon as it gets to, all right, I have an idea, I send them right up to the Entrepreneurship Center, and I connect them with our entrepreneur in residence or the director of the Entrepreneurship Center, and I and I let them take the reins on guiding them that way. So uh, it's very much a – fire them up to the people who are really good at this because uh, Genesis and the Entrepreneurship Center just have been making such a huge impact over the last couple of years that uh, – better to send the students to the experienced folks and if they need help getting it made then they can come down and see me <laughs> well there you go because the, the three your group and the other two aforementioned the three peas in the pod right it all works collectively for everyone's best interest in canada we've been really good at research great at development not so much with monetization until the recent past we've seen cl- uh, some really great examples in this province and you're right we punch above our weight we should never think we're less than because we have a small university out of the east coast of canada because we have produced some extraordinary minds doing incredible stuff so i suppose you've got the teams in place what we're hoping to achieve this morning is to get some more of these sponsors in play so we know there's a couple of name brand angel investors around here but there's others who may be a little bit lurking behind the scenes if you're trying to attract one of these sponsors what do they need to do to connect with you to be in the room on the 18th well uh i'm glad you asked that patty so um we've been trying to promote this on social media but there's two big ways. The big way is they can go right to the MUN Student Design Hub website, and we've got the contact details there, so they can go to mun.ca slash sdh. And on the main page, they just got to scroll down, and they're going to see the showcase. Uh, so, And that's the invitation right there. It's right up. It's public. Anybody who wants to come and sponsor the students in this event are welcome. Uh, they can send an email to rsvp at mun.ca. And we're also on Eventbrite, so you can search Student Design Showcase on Eventbrite, and you can register that way. Um, And uh, we'd love to have individuals. We'd love to have alumni. We would love to have sponsors and and businesses come on. You know, it's really about showing these students that uh, the general public here supports them. They believe in the projects that they're taking on. And we're very lucky so far. I mean, we've we've got uh, Colab on board, Subsea Seven, Verifin, Misa, Rally, Smith Ventures. So I mean, the the list keeps growing, and hopefully we'll have, you know, ten to twenty businesses in the room and and a good showing from the community, so that you know these students are are excited, they're amped up, and, and hopefully we can get them some sponsorships so that they can uh, afford to participate. I would imagine the eventual sponsors that end up in the room on the 18th will also be excited, getting exposed to the creativity and the ingenuity and the innovative nature. Innovative nature. The folks will be presenting into, inside of five minutes and then field a few questions. Hopefully it's a massive success, Kyle. Drop me a line uh, shortly after or come back on the show. Tell us how it went. I absolutely will, Patty. Thank you so much for having me on today. Happy to have you on. Enjoy the chat. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you, sir. There you go. Kyle Duty. He is the engineer in residence at Memorial's Faculty of Engineering. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, Donna's there in the queue. She wants to talk about employment insurance, and then we're going to be speaking with you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number four. Good morning, Donna. You're on the air. Hi, this is Donna. Hi, Donna. I'm... My issue is probably not as important as what you've been talking about, but, I mean, I find it very interesting about the gas and fuel. I mean, it's disgusting. But uh, I'm a registered nurse, retired, and I came down with COVID in March. So I had all the side symptoms after that. So I uh, I was working respite care just part-time, right, two shifts a week. And um, 
put in for my sick leave, and that was the 11th of March, and I haven't received not five cents since. Since the 11th of March? Whoa. The 11th of March. What's the anticipated wait time? And before you even answer that question, look, this is a big issue for you, so it's a big enough issue for me. So don't worry about what you think is might be important to the listeners. Let's try to get the, down to the brass tacks with your issue. So what were you told is the anticipated wait time to get your EI? Uh, two weeks. <laughs> yeah, two weeks, two months later. <laughs> two months later. <laughs> Three months. And I would, like, I'm a senior, and, I mean, in order to keep my rent up and my vehicle going, or to have a vehicle, I was depending on that little bit of extra part-time work I was getting, right? And uh, all of a sudden, then I have to come off sick, and I can't get anything. Yeah, so what have you done other than call me? Like, have you tried to get your member of parliament to try to help you yes, out or their I assistance? Actually, actually, I did gross for him yesterday now. Be, uh, that was before I called you, but he did get back to me last night. So they're going to work on it today uh, to see what is going on, right? But um, it just seems to me it's so, like for seniors, it's so... It's so degrading these days because uh, we don't get enough really to live comfortably on, you know, and uh, then to be denied if you're off sick, to be denied your sick leave, uh, it's just unbelievable to me. It's just floor of me right Donna I really am loath to tell people to call Service Canada because it's extremely frustrating but if, if after 28 days has passed there's got to be some problem with your claim so yeah you know that's again I don't like telling people well call Service Canada but that's the only organization that you can call beyond your member of parliament or one of his his or her assistants. So when 28 days comes to pass, there's just a problem with your claim. Whether or not there's an error or some paperwork missing or it hasn't been... Uh, uh, it hasn't been dealt with at Service Canada itself, so are you going to try that? As much as I know, it's going to be a frustrating exercise. Oh, look, I've spent more than hours on the phone trying to get Service Canada, right? So what do they say? Because they can diagnose the problem quite quickly. Right at their computer screen, they'll see your application or your, your submission. They should be able to resolve it very quickly. So what do they say when you tell them, look, March 11th, two weeks later, 28 days later, I still have nothing? Oh, uh, I'll put Jan Hall now for another 15 minutes yeah. after waiting 45. Yeah. And next thing, hung up. Mm. Not a word, right? But I'm just bringing this out, Patty, because I'm sure there's more people in this predicament, more nurses or more healthcare workers or more anybody's, uh, you know, who's in this predicament. And I mean, if you can't pay your rent, I mean, you're out. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. Uh, who is your member? I'm just curious. Loyola O'Driscoll. Okay. Well, uh, hopefully Loyola or someone on his team can try to get some answers for you because the 28 days is the understood threshold for when you're supposed to hear back and get your first payment from Service Canada. So, uh, fingers crossed. I'm glad you called about it this morning, Donna. Hopefully you get your money ASAP. Okay. Thank you so much for listening, Patty, and thanks for the listeners also. My pleasure. Stay in touch. Good luck. Okay. okay Thank Donna. you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, there's a bunch of complications this tax year. And right, if you weren't technically eligible, 
to get some serb and what have you i understand they want to have see people pay it back but there's some confusion surrounding that like for instance we're just talking employment insurance so many Canadians applied for their employment insurance and were immediately put directly on the Canada Mercy Response Benefit. It's a different level of income. There was no tax taken out. It's a much different reality when it comes to tax time. So that's one thing. I read a story the other day where this lady's maternity leave payments were uh, cut in half because she got that one-time immediate $2,000 payment down the CERB. Didn't, know, didn't even know it was coming. So it's one thing to say, yeah, if you got it and you weren't supposed to, you should pay it back. Quite another when people are dealing with some legitimate confusion and they did not know what was going on. So that's where some of these, you know, the immediacy of getting money in the hands of businesses and Canadians was a good idea. But now we're seeing some of the aftermath. Then add to it some confusion tax time, say, for instance, for teachers. There's tens of thousands of teachers in the country who've no fault of their own. There was an opportunity to get a tax credit based on supplies that they had bought. The amount was increasing from $150 to $250. They weren't told that it wasn't available. It's right there on the form. So they clicked it. And because it hasn't passed through Parliament in full, CRA is holding their returns. Nobody did anything wrong. So the confusion this year associated with how people are paying taxes, what they're paying taxes on, what they knew or did not know before they were involved with the CERB or this teacher tax credit or whatever the case may be, Boy, oh boy. Anyway, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, lots of time to speak with you about whatever's on your mind. Don't go away. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to the top of the board, line number one. Good morning, Linda. You're on the air. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How about yourself? Oh, getting ready to hit the road again. Where are you heading? Uh, okay, I'm probably not going to pronounce this correctly. Uh, um, I'm on my last leg here in Newfoundland. I'm heading to the Meadows, I guess it is. Lance Meadows? St. Anthony. Yeah, Lance Meadows, yeah, the Viking village-ish thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, this is my last uh, little bit to explore in Newfoundland, is all this area, and then I'm going to catch a ferry to Labrador. Fantastic. So I've been on the road since the first of April. I came. Uh, I wanted. To, I've been wanting to see the East Coast for I don't know how long. Newfoundland's always been my dream place to go, and so I've done Brunswick, Nova Scotia, PEI, and I came into Labrador, um, Newfoundland, the twenty-sixth of April, I guess. And I've just been poking around in all your little cute villages and towns, and I've been having an amazing time. But these gas prices are killing me. I've I've done a lot of road trips over the years. Like, I've gone off to Alaska. I've done the Dexter Highway up to Tayuk, the Arctic Ocean. And they were expensive then, but this is ridiculous. I'm so glad I'm at the end of my trip, not the beginning, because uh, I wouldn't be able to enjoy it as much as I have enjoyed it. 
Well, I tell you what, uh, everybody that's listening to the programme this morning knows exactly what you're thinking and feeling because we're all dealing with the same thing. It's, it's just extraordinary. And the question is, just where does it end? And we have no idea. So there's lots of pressure on government, lots of pressures on the travelling public here, but it's it's a, a massive concern. It is for many people that listen to this programme. Uh, so the gas concern is one thing. I'm glad you've had a nice time uh, visiting different parts of the province here. What are some of the highlights of where you've been? Oh, uh, wow. That's really hard to say. I love your fries and dressing. Can we tell you? <laughs> okay. I am in love with that. I bought the stuff to make I get home. I've uh, picked up some souvenirs for my kids uh, from your specialty beer places like Dildo. Um, the sights, uh, the scenery out here is phenomenal. Like, uh, something so proud for you guys to have a place to live like this. It's just amazing. It doesn't matter which corner of Newfoundland you go to, it's fantastic. It really is, and we take it for granted. But when I see or speak with a visitor who, for the first time, saw the province, and then whether it be saw a humpback whale or the puffins or an iceberg, it's really quite something to behold, and we're really pleased that you've enjoyed it, albeit with a big knock on your pocketbook trying to fill up the vehicle. Yeah, I'm going to have to go home and hide for about three months trying to save up some money. I was hoping to go out west right after I got home. I don't think I can do that. prices seem like they're going to elect. Yeah, record prices right across the country, but we're third highest gas prices just behind Victoria and Vancouver. What's the plan for when you get to Labrador? Oh, I want to see as much as I can, and then I'm going to drive from uh, Labrador over to Quebec. And then uh, I've got, um, there's a highway called the Highway of Dams in Quebec. It's about 500 kilometers long, and so I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to head home back to Ottawa. Back to Ottawa, uh, really a great town. People think it's a sleepy town, but I really love Ottawa. Uh, I'm really glad you called. I'm so, I, I apologize on behalf of whoever's setting the prices of fuels at such ast- astronomical levels, but I'm really glad that you enjoyed your trip. Uh, safe travels up to Lance Meadows. It's an incredible archaeological site. Uh, I've been there before. It's really quite something to behold. It's the first European settlement here, Norse settlement, uh, on the island, and Labrador is spectacular, albeit it's absolutely massive. This whole trip has been, uh, I've got fabulous pictures, great memories, met people. It's been truly a, um, a completion that I'm really happy to have done. Well, we're really glad you did exactly that and come back soon. I definitely will hope uh, I will be because uh, this is not probably the best weather to be here, but I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> Well, that's great stuff, Linda. Stay in touch with the program and let us know how you enjoyed Labrador. Okay, thank you. You have a great day. The very same to you, Linda. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Look, I mean, we talked about the Marine Atlantic bookings. It's really quite strong. Uh, But I would imagine they're going to feel the same way that Linda does when they go to pull into the gas stations. All right, you know, I mentioned how big Labrador is. I've only been to Labrador a couple of times and I have not had the opportunity to travel much of Labrador. But... Just for context, Labrador is just short of 300,000 square kilometers. You could put the entire United Kingdom in Labrador with space to spare. The the entirety of the United Kingdom is somewhere in the neighborhood of 240-odd thousand square kilometers. So just imagine, the whole United Kingdom plops inside Labrador and there's still space left. Amazing. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. 
Hello? Good morning. Good morning. Well, I have tried to make this suggestion to the proper people, but I have not been able to do so, and I thought you have better contacts and more continuity in your <laughs> contacts. So anyway, it was a suggestion for people who are struggling in the rural areas to get to those centers for doctors and nurses. And this is an old-fashioned suggestion, and it comes from my own grandmother who did this kind of thing years ago, and also from the memory of Dr. Rusted, who used to do this around the rural areas, and that is perhaps for a, a young, interested doctor uh, to have to be a mobile doctor, to go to the rural areas where it's impossible for somebody to get to one of the centers to see people who need to be seen. And I think it would be cheaper, it would save money, it would save nerves, it would save time, and it could be a revolving doctor from one of the centers to go around in with a in a little a small van with perhaps a midwife or a, a nurse assistant with him or her and i think they might find that interesting and and kind of fun for a change and it would help those people who simply cannot get to one of the centers and who need to see somebody face to face and um and it would in it would eliminate the need for an ambulance, that kind of thing, for people. And um, I just thought this would be a very simple and very practical way to get for these people to see somebody when they need to see them. And it would be interesting for a, a doctor to do that sort of thing. That's my first suggestion. And my second suggestion is for <clears throat> for people to leave off at your age when they're talking about different things. Uh, I think they're trying to give compliments, but when they say, I wish I could do this at your age, or you do this and thus and so so well for your age. Um, <laughs> uh, that's a form of ageism, and I've, I've been hearing that, and I, I really don't find that encouraging. So that's just a general two bits worth yeah i get the second one in full you know it's uh the most common one i think is you look great for your age <laughs> right that's the one i think people kind of take as a bit of a left-handed compliment you, you look you look what you look great for your age <laughs> right well my most recent was is you're you're very sharp for your age <laughs> or at your age you're very sharp and i thought oh oh well, I, I think that's uh, maybe a left-handed compliment, but it means that as people get older, they can't be sharp or that I'm looking old or something like that. Anyway, it doesn't feel you can't do the Signal Hill Trail. I wish I could do the Signal Hill Trail like you're doing it when I get to be your age. And those things, kind of things just they are not helpful. No, absolutely. My comeback will be when eventually I feel those questions. Well, you're sharp for your age. I'm going to say, well, how dull did you expect me to be? <laughs> I just can't think quickly <laughs> enough to think of something clever to say. I just said, well, I don't think of these things when I don't think of my age when I'm doing this or thinking this. It doesn't it isn't doesn't occur to me to say now I'm X number of years. So I will think this or I will do this. I, it just doesn't occur to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll lose my keys more frequently as I age. Like, I mean, I don't know what people are thinking. I know it's well-intentioned. You know, nobody's trying to make someone feel less than or to use ageism as a way to start small, small talk or just a general conversation. But I totally get your point. To your first suggestion, yeah. I guess that kind of mimics the, the age or the era of, like, the coastal boats, right? The doctors went to you versus thinking that we can attract a doctor to be a permanent resident yeah. of one smaller isolated rural community yes. so I totally get that idea yes. um, 
I, I don't know how many doctors would take up the charge, but there's available space in most every community where they could set up shop for that one or two days. That doctor or doctors or le- licensed practical nurse or whoever would become the most popular person in the community and that achieve almost sure. hero status. That for sure. And it could save a lot of time for everybody involved, for the centers, for the doctors, for the people involved. And it would be practical and it would be, I would think, simpler than the other arrangement of having to get an ambulance and so on. And it wouldn't necessarily be an emergency situation. It would just be a contact, and it could be a doctor and a nurse from one of the centers who could take turns, or from several centers who could take turns going in different places. And this is what, as I said, it's an old-fashioned thing that used to be done. And I think it's very practical. No argument coming from me. Now, the reality is, say, for instance, in, in central health, they're actually utilizing traveling teams of nurses to try oh, to address they? the vacancies, but they're doing it because they think they have no other choice, and they probably don't, as opposed to uh, if it was a practice of practicality that all the regional health authorities, which are soon going to be amalgamated into one, if it was something they put in place and there was rotation of doctors so that I knew that, you know, I, we can't tell the doctors what to do necessarily, but, you know, this time in 2024 I'll be spending 45 days on the road covering the southeast coast of Newfoundland and it might be something to actually look forward to you know a break from your practice and the -the run-of-the-mill day-to-day operations in your own clinic or your hospital privileges or what have you so I kind of like it sometimes old ideas are good ideas well I think it would be very refreshing to a lot of doctors I think they would find it a nice change for a change and it would give them some new insights into into people's needs and lives and perhaps medical insights I just I, I, anyway, it came to me just in the middle of the night, and I thought I'd pass it along to someone in the health accord team, but I couldn't reach anybody. And I thought, well, I think you would be the person who could do a better job of that than I. So if you could pass that along, I'd appreciate it. Well, I think there's people in the department and the health authorities that just heard your valid suggestion, and hopefully they will, you know, give it some careful consideration because where we are now is it's going to require some, as they call it, thinking outside the box mm-hmm. because the current structure of healthcare okay. delivery is simply not working. That's right. So That's right. maybe bad, maybe some ideas that can be revisited, such as the one you suggest. And like my mother, for instance, worked on the coastal boats for a number of years as a nurse. Oh. So, yeah, interesting stuff. I'm glad you yes. called this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Well. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, and I didn't see this until now. This is coming from Tyrone. Uh, I guess it was our conversation with Linda and her travels around the province. How lucky is Linda to be able to have that kind of time and resources to travel? We're really glad she came. And so if you're listening, Linda, still Tyrone says visit Northwest River excellent suggestion and also the Labrador Interpretation Center is an amazing building says Tyrone maybe you can put that on your agenda for the rest of your travels Linda let's go ahead and take a break when we come back Norm is there to talk about the Rothschild report which does not get enough attention some of the issues regarding value added in the minerals world don't go away welcome back to the show let's go to line number one good morning Norm Mercer you're on the air uh, Patty, good morning. Good morning, too. Sir, are you still the president of the Prospectors Association? Yes, I'm still the volunteer president of the Prospectors Association, and, and I hope to call in uh, within the next week or two and share uh, many of the positives that are happening within the prospecting, mineral exploration, and mining sector. But today I was calling just as an individual resident of the province. Okay. Now, uh, my background, I spent 33 years uh, in the public service and uh, retired about 10 years ago. I'm a prospecting geologist, and uh, I guess I've, I've, I've 
I have a great interest and I've observed the political comings and goings over the years since I've been a, a young person and also in terms of uh, the management and approach to economic development in our province for many, many years. So uh, I would just want to say with regards to that, I had a wonderful, a wonderful career because I was pursuing my passion uh, with the uh, public service. My loyalty was always and is now to the people of this place, to this province, not to either particular government or political party, but to, uh, to the people of this province. And uh, I guess, I guess with, uh, with age and experience and with seeing all the comings and goings, uh, I just wanted to share a few comments. I, there's a lot I could say, but uh, I only want to take a small amount of your time. Uh, no Pat. problem. Go right ahead, Norm. So in terms of, uh, I just want to give a shout out first, uh, congratulate the provincial government and all the various agencies and organizations for all of their excellent efforts and stepping up immediately to assist the uh, people of Ukraine, over, what, five to six million people who've ended up having to leave their wonderful country because of the murderous war that Putin is executing in, uh, in particularly the east and south of Ukraine. Terrible situation, but a, a shout-out. Uh, we, Our government and various agencies put people on the ground uh, in Poland, and they, and they raised awareness uh, to many refugees uh, with regards to uh, a place to come, uh, a place to potentially live and have a career here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So I, that's kind of a caveat to what I want to uh, talk about, because I do want to mention several items, and please uh, you know, tell me when I, I've talked too much, because I tend to talk a lot. But uh, with regards to the Rothschild report, and in fact a report that was commissioned by government even a few years before, where they spent a million dollars uh, a few years ago to look at, uh, they engaged an agency or a company out of the, the States to look at economic diversification, uh, and then of course with the Rothschild report. And one of the things I find that I find over the years is that there's just not enough wholesome debate and discussion on some of these major uh, major files. I mean, we're at we're, we're in, as we all know, a very challenging period. But also within this challenging period, there are significant opportunities. For sure. And, uh, so the million dollars—that's referring back, I guess, to McKinsey and Company, uh, which provided some, I guess, insight. Not much debate or discussion happened on the heels of it being delivered, even though it was being delivered late. But this Rothschild report, here's my question for you, Norm, and then you go make any points you like. His wholesome, healthy, reasonable debate becomes pretty hard to come by when we don't know what's inside the covers of that report. No, exactly. And as I say, in terms of uh, that's $5 million that the people of this province uh, spent to have this report done. I mean, in terms of investigative reporting with regards to Moya Green, with regards to the background there, like, you know, like where was all this coming from? Where did it all where did it all happen? Uh, as I say, I've been a, a student of history and politics ever since I was a young fella and ever since my grade 11 literature teacher uh, drew me out of being a very shy, quiet person back in Gander, back in the, in the 1960s. But, uh, you know, as I say, Moya Green, she was the head of the uh, British Postal Service, one of the key companies that was involved in assessing the assets of the British Postal Service was Rothschild. 
uh, I've heard people talk about Rothschild and saying, oh, no, this is the company that funded, uh, that funded the Upper Churchill. Uh, well, there's much more to that than uh, just a comment like that. But, yes, that report should be that that report should be made public the members of our house of assembly the number of days of sitting in our house of assembly is amongst the least number of days of any legislature anywhere in this country and to me that report and i know the opposition leader uh, uh, called for it but there needs to be a full and open discussion debate call in witnesses who have various backgrounds who you know specialists who can attest to different aspects of it but like newfoundland and labrador is one of the richest pieces of real estate in this world one of the richest pieces of real estate and we don't address all the different aspects of it nearly enough so i call for the report to be open when the minister or others say well there's commercial sensitivities let me say this patty sometimes those commercial sensitivities are basically a comment to which the reality is that a number of these assets are very 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 profitable and that's the type of thing i remember a former cabinet minister said to me in a meeting he said norman always remember that the politicians want to set the bar of public expectation at a level that they can reach so that the people believe that the best deal was secured that came from a former cabinet minister and uh, that concerned me because as i say uh, what's in that report all the different uh, recommendations and suggestions needs a wholesome debate in the house of assembly and it needs to happen now uh, over the next number of weeks uh, open it up bring in witnesses from both sides people who put it together and uh, have a full-fledged uh, review and hearing on those aspects in terms of like uh, the one the one matter there and i'm not sure if it's just a trial balloon or a, or a, a diversion but this business of of selling the the liquor corporation which delivered i believe something like 203 or 204 million dollars in dividends this past year to the people of this province uh you know i mean in terms of an asset like that like where and how are we going we could bring in others to talk about how they had looked at that how it's working in certain jurisdictions and how it's not but i sure. don't I, yeah okay i certainly don't believe that we should be selling assets that are truly significantly profitable and provide quality, highly skilled, uh, well-paid jobs. Okay, so there's a lot to what you had to say. I do think there's probably parts of that report which should remain uh, not disclosed to the public because we, what we cannot do is jeopardize the bidding process. There can be too much information shared before we go to the market to see who might be interested in whether it be motor vehicle, bull arm, marble mountain, the, the NLC, whatever it is. But, you know, there's no downside as far as I can tell. If they simply said the recommendations inside the Rothschild report are very much akin to what's in the Green report. The recommendation is to, divert, to uh, divest our oil and gas assets. Okay, but at least then we could have some at least general debate and a better understanding of where government's coming from if they're going to go to the market with these things. I don't know if... I do think there's probably very likely commercial sensitivities in, inside, but it's not acceptable to shield it in full. What I would think is the proper play, if I had any sway inside of the uh, Confederation building, is let's have Michael Harvey 
figure out what should be publicly disclosed. That's why he's there. He's the privacy, the privacy and information commissioner. Let him have a look at it. He'll be able to quite clearly talk about what should be indeed regarded as a cabinet document, what should be protected, what is commercially sensitive, but just basic recommendations of, yes, let's tell the NLC, which is a fascinating discussion because we focus in on the 203 $204 million return to the province, but we haven't looked at the other side of the ledger. What does it cost to operate, whether it be with remuneration packages for the employees, the real estate holdings, the distribution component, the relationship with the LCBO, uh, workers' comp, all these things. You know, let's let's get both sides of the ledger and have a debate as to what it might look like and what the benefit might be to government and what the benefit might be to the customer because we haven't done any of that because we don't even know what those numbers look like. No, and I agree, and the points that you make are very valid, and this is why, as I say, in terms of uh, having open and thorough uh, transparent debate and discussion can involve bringing in various specialists, expertise, and witnesses, looking at all aspects, looking at the pros and looking at the cons. When we look at, uh, when we look at the equity stakes in our offshore, when we look at our local oil company expertise that's here, which has been nurtured over the last number of years, like Patty, what country in the world can you tell me that has significant oil resources that is looking at moving away from it? I mean, uh, Great Britain, Scotland, Norway are all ramping up. The U.S. is even out there reaching to dictatorships like in Venezuela, uh, through the back door talking to the Saudis. Uh, the Russian situation. I mean, things have changed so much in the last few months, and who would have ever thought in this day and age uh, a war would be, uh, be being executed on the wonderful people of Ukraine by a murderer like Putin? But, I mean, this is the reality. And when you look at the energy pipeline, when you look at the energy security, little Guyana, which, forgive me, my geography might be a little bit off, which is either a Central American or, or South American country. But their aim is to ramp up towards one million barrels of oil uh, extraction over the next five years. We have that potential here. We have, we have a North Sea Plus potential in our offshore, and we're being handcuffed by the federal government in many ways on this. I mean, there were delays and upon delays with regards to Beta Nord, and I mean, that sends signals. But I mean, we have uh, something like, I think, 18 to 20 sedimentary basins. I grew up in scouting in central Newfoundland. And one thing Baden Powell taught us was to be wise in the use of our resources. All of these big oil companies, all the big Western countries and others, are trying to move transition towards a low carbon footprint. And uh, there's no one that has environmental consciousness any higher than the Norwegians or the people involved in Equinor and uh, in terms of how they're looking at moving forward. Mm -hmm. When the minister talks about she can't do much about our gas prices or being able to alleviate other high costs to our people because of the debt, I mean, this is such an opportunity to, to get our debt down to a very low level over the next few years. The equity stake, and I was on a few weeks ago when I talked about this, these equity stakes, the, the oil deposits or oil fields in our offshore, and all you've got to do is go to look at some of the annual reports over the last few years by some of the big companies, are amongst the most profitable, challenging, yes, because of uh, uh, the ice conditions and, and the Northwest Atlantic, but amongst the most profitable 
in any jurisdiction in the world. We now have Equinor with a drill rig over to drill two new appraisal wells on the fields around Beta Nord yep. and, and, and others. But anyway, okay. I can go on and on, forgive me, but I do want to also mention one other thing, and kudos in terms of to Valet doing the deal with Tesla with regards to providing low-carbon nickel uh, for the uh, electrification of vehicles. Uh, also, in terms of the deal that they had done some months ago or last year on the cobalt side of things, but I, I want to just share this very quickly, Norm. Go yes, ahead. Yeah. Okay, Premier Doug Ford the other day. This was before the campaign, but certainly leading up to it. And Minister Champagne, who was there announcing the big new electric uh, battery plant for uh, Windsor. But uh, Premier Doug Ford the other day, he said when they were talking about the monies the feds and the province were putting into the electrical plants, or sorry, the electric car plants. He said, minerals discovered and mined in Northern Ontario, processed in Northern Ontario, and manufactured into electrical components and products here in Ontario. Now that's what we need to hear from Premier Andrew Fury and Minister Andrew Parsons. Not just congratulations to, like, I mean, we have to break the pattern of just mining it or chopping it down or digging it up and sending it away. We have we have the potential to be uh, one of the richest jurisdictions on the planet. Norm, appreciate all you've offered here this morning, and thanks for making time for the show. Lots to consider inside of what you had to, had to say today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, and all the best. People of Newfoundland and Labrador, please, please listen to these things. Uh, and just uh, very quickly, Guyana is on the north of South America, on the north coast, on the Atlantic coast. Appreciate Thanks. this, Norm. Off we go. All the best. Bye-bye. Take good care. Bye-bye. All right, let's take a break. Don't go away. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. And welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number three. Good morning to St. Mary's Mayor Steve Ryan. Mayor Ryan, you're on the air. Hello, Penny. How are you this morning? Top shelf today. How are you doing? Good for you. Uh, Thank you first for all the airtime you gave us the past week. Uh, You're after doing more for us than the government. Uh, uh, They're still sitting on their hands. Uh, so we're going to have a demonstration tomorrow morning at the plant, or, or a support rally, and we're um, asking people from all over the province to support us, and fishermen, and uh, some of the politicians. We're having it early, uh, at 10 o'clock, uh, so the politicians are able to leave St. John's and be back in the afternoon for the go back into the House. Um, I'm also, uh, Patrick, did you uh, reach out to the minister? We have tried everybody, and we're still trying to get Mr. Anstey. I, here's my thoughts on it, Steve. Yep. Just so people maybe have not heard what we're understand what we're talking about, mm. we're talking about the fact that there is a ready-to-roll plant processing plant in St. Mary's, not looking for a nickel from the government, mm. trying to get a license, open the door, process some crab or whatever else they might be able to gear up in the future. And no luck. There's not one single plant operating in St. Mary's Bay. Every time I even say that out loud, I'm shocked. <laughs> here's my thoughts on how I'd like to approach uh, the decision-making. First, I think we need to hear from the licensing board, the panel. So we'd love to have Mr. Anstey on to talk about his thoughts on the prospects for this particular plant. Because when you get the minister, sometimes there's that bit of deflection available where he says, well, first it has to go through this process. So let's start with the beginning of the process then. 
So I'll see if we can get Mr. Anstey on. And based on what we hear from the minister, or pardon me, from Mr. Anstey, who was the chair of that panel, then we'll go to the minister, who I'm absolutely sure we can get on to talk about this, because I'm not letting it go. I think this is an important issue. I'd like to get to the bottom of it. Well, Petty, 150 to 200 jobs and not one cent of government money is just it's a win-win for the whole province. Yep. And uh, I, I, like I said, we're going, I'm going to call on the Premier now. I was talking to the rest of the mayors. And we're inviting the Premier to attend tomorrow morning. It's uh, uh, going to come to the Premier. The Minister, the Minister, I don't think is in a good place. And the Premier's job is, is to oversee, oversee the government. And we're asking him to attend. He took time out of the house on Monday to uh, go to the airport and welcome some new residents to the Newfoundland that we much need. So we want him to come down here now, down Route 90, down to St. Mary's tomorrow morning, and support support the people that is after uh, electing them. And uh, and to support his MHA, uh, our MHA is in a in a difficult situation now where she sits. I got to remind remind the premier too. We have a small majority, and uh, the people don't forget. <laughs> I had I had my mic muted while I had a sip of coffee, sorry about that, Steve. Okay, <laughs> so, like, for instance, we've talked to Mayor Lee in Riverhead, and we talked yep. to Mayor Hayward out in St. Pe- uh, Peter's River. I, and I, there's more yep. communities inside of that mayorship. Uh, I can't remember what they are at this moment in time. But, you know, so there's lots to offer out in St. Mary's. What else is going on? Because we can talk about the, the plant, but also there's more to it than just a processing plant concern, and there's a lot of upside going on in St. Mary's and, and surrounding area. Yes, definitely. Uh, you get you, know, you get an industry like that come in. It helps every way. It helps with cell phone coverage. It helps with your roads being paved. It helps. It helps bring new blood into the community. New blood in the community. We have a, a school here with 53 kids. Uh, people. Uh, we just had a family moved in uh, with two new kids. Uh, one of those residents is hoping to go to work in the plant. Uh, uh, as, a, as, a, as a win-win situation. There's no lose in this, unless we get a no. <laughs> You know, but you know what? And I say this all the time, too. We might, might not get the answers that we want, but an answer is helpful. Because if you, you know, if it comes with a no, there might be a reason as to why the no is the decision. Then you can try again. You can rejig your presentation. You can have further thoughts. You can have, you know, maybe you get an opportunity to sit in the minister's office, make a formal presentation again with addressing any concerns they may have. But when it's just really not much going on, nobody really knows what's happening, then it's hard to even craft up the message some times, even though we're trying the best we can on this one. Um, anyway, you want to say anything else about Mayor Steve and also offer the details about the where and the when for the protest? Yeah, uh, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning at the fish plant in St. Mary's, rain or shine. I know this is not giving up for good weather, but it's just how important it is to uh, show up. And we'd love to get everybody's support. And Petty, I want to thank you once more for what you were doing for, for the whole uh, the whole province, not just uh, down your old stopping grounds down Route 90. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to do it. And I try not to be biased from one region or another, but, you know, the, the familial attachment with the, that part of the province is very real. I appreciate the time, Steve. Take yep. care. Stay in touch. Have a good day. You too. Okay. All the best. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, there we go. So, and of course, look, uh, repeatedly, it doesn't matter what I bring up. It doesn't matter if you think your issue is important to everybody or anybody. If it's something you'd like to discuss on the program, big, small, on the provincial level, very niche in one part of the province or another, the country, the world, whatever you want to talk about is exactly what I want to talk about. Let's do it right after this break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Uh, let's go. Line number two. Simeon, you're on the air. Hey, uh, good morning, uh, Patty. Morning to you. Yes, uh, I just want to touch base with the uh, with ongoing problems with the uh, Elf Labrador within uh, Goose Bay uh, up the north coast of uh, Nain up 
down to south of uh, Riglet. Anyway, I just want to point out the uh, the ongoing problems and it's, it's inadequacy that we have at a health Labrador here. And uh, we lost a lot of lives uh, because of that. And I have proof to say that. And I have, doc- I have uh, my facts that can back me up what I'm saying. Anyway, while I'm, I've, I've been talking to uh, different leaders within the community of Shadid uh, and Nagoshish, uh, we're all saying that the same thing. It's, it's inadequacy. And I'm pretty sure uh, Leela Evans uh, has spoke about the, uh, the urgency of some of the resources that are not in place in, uh, within uh, uh, Goose Bay Hospital. But anyway, anyway, to, to make a point, to my, my point, Here's here's what I'm uh, what I'm suggesting. Uh, there is election coming up in Narashish, which I am going to put my name uh, as a band chief. And here's what I'm going to do. The first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to ask the premier, along with uh, with along with the health minister, federal health minister, Minister Haggy, if he's around, that I'm going to be requesting the the runways should be extended and paved. And because of that, because there is no roads, there is no uh, a better transportation. So that way we'll have a better access uh, to Medicare and bypass Coos Bay. And if, if that happens, but it's, it's a big wish, it's a long wish, but it can, be, it, it can happen. And if it doesn't happen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to shut the mining down. I'm going to shut the Muskrat Falls down until the road, until the pavement, until the uh, the runway in Nairobi is paved to get a better service. I mean, the problems have no no problems uh, collecting our resources and benefiting a lot of a lot of those projects. And uh, but it's, I think it's time Labrador North Coast of Labrador has to make a voice. We haven't. I'm making any uh, uh, very vocal about it, and uh, it's, it's a shame. And people are dying, or people, are, uh, you know, people are dying, and, and uh, people are waiting for surgeries. Uh, it, it, it's ongoing problem, and not just the you know, not it's not just the you know, I've been affected by Health Labrador. There's non-Aboriginal people here in in Goose Bay too that are affected, and it's, it's the horrible stories that uh, that they're telling me, and, and and that's what I'm proposing to do. If I get elected, if I'm being successful, that's the first thing uh, that I'm going to tackle to he- uh, the healthcare within uh, in Labrador, and I'm going to ask, the, like I said, I'm going to ask the premier and also uh, prime minister to pave those roads, or either one, we're going we're to we're see some uh, repercussion. Of those projects, and 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 I don't I don't really care if we have an agreement with the with the new dominant women. New dominant women don't mean nothing to me at all. And that's and that's that's what I'm going to be doing because it's frustrating and something needs to be done about it. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Um, the the issue about vocal and having a voice, just from where I sit, and of course I'm not a Labradorian, so I don't know what everyone in the uh, in the big land thinks. But Leela Evans seems like a pretty forceful voice representing the needs and the shortcomings. Like even when we talked about the uh, the potential for an apology uh, for the victims survivors of residential schools, she says. I'm not even interested in accepting that until they deal with other issues like the ones you mentioned. What do you make of Miss Evans and her performance? I think uh, Evans needs needs uh, a counterparts and needs some uh, uh, co uh, fighters as the leaders in, within Labrador. That I mean, especially the Inuit people and also the Inuit people, because the leaders and once they come together, they, you have a full force and you have a more 
more power to them to to uh, to get what, what what needs to be done in the North Coast, because we know, uh, Patty, that uh, that the roads we're never going to see that in in, in our days of uh, lives. Uh, we're not going to see uh, being connected to uh, to Goose Bay or Labrador City Highway. That's not going to happen. Not in a million years. And here's and and if they can if they can do that. Why not? Uh, why not uh, extend the runways and pave the runways so the uh, so the uh, the medevac uh, that goes to uh, to St. John's lands on the pave, uh, pavement and can pick up the passengers and fly directly to St. John's where, where where the resources are because the resources are not here within Goose Bay Hospital and like I'm 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 a patient uh, I almost lost my life my life a uh, couple years ago of cancer and uh, I'm very lucky to be alive and ha- very lucky to have my wife uh, Ruby to drive me from Goose Bay to St. John's and get and get a surgery and if I stayed not a couple of days I was told I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be talking to you today so that's those are the things that uh, that we that we face. Not only Eno, it's everybody within Labrador, and uh, and I think uh, Vila is doing a tremendous job, and he's only uh, one voice. But uh, if you have more voices like the Grand Chief, Deputy Grand Chief, Band Chiefs, and Labrador government uh, to uh, join forces with her and, and demand these things, and uh, but obviously it's not happening. I don't know why. Is it? I don't know. Something something is not. You know, if something is not right, it could be uh, it could be uh, a new down agreement that that we are put uh, some uh, restrictions to to get uh, to ask for something. I don't know. Me, me, I don't really care about new down agreement. New down agreement don't mean nothing to me. I don't I don't get any uh, any benefits out of, out of that agreement anyway. So, I what am I going to lose? And I got nothing to lose. I got more more important lives to protect than children. And while the people are, are sick and dying in Nellosis or, or North Coast, for that matter, and I mean, you don't mean nothing to me. So, yeah, that's what I'm prepared to do. Boise Bay and Muskwell Falls. If I get elected, and uh, I mean, they should. They but should, Simeon, they how do you shut it down? Like you say, you'll shut it down. What does that mean? Pardon? How do you say you're going to shut down those particular projects? Well, How? I'm, what does I'm, that mean? I'm, I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to be at the gate, and I'm going to say, look, this got to stop. Yeah, and there, there won't be no operation going on until uh, until the, the demands are met. Because you are talking about lives here. We're talking about the people's lives at risk. People who are sick are not getting the proper uh, medical care that, that that they need. And that's, I mean, uh, I mean, something got to give. Something got to give. And that's 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 where I'm coming from with it. Because healthcare is very poor in in Labrador. Uh, understood. I appreciate making time, Simeon. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Quickly before we get to the news. So, you know, in reference to a move the government made yesterday, whether or not it has any pragmatic change coming is the amendment of the legislation, the Petroleum Products Act. You know, talk about demystifying why fuel prices are the way they are. And look, if, if you're kind of sick of hearing about gas and other fuel stuff, I get it. Uh, and please feel free to bring up a topic of your choosing right after the break. But... So here's the trick. I think this is a good first step. It's not the be-all and end-all. So even if the PUB has to present what they call a clear breakdown of the maximum retail and wholesale fuel prices, talk about the different moving parts, distribution and storage and transportation, okay. The big question that has to be asked 
and answered is whether or not a regulated fuel price is actually serving us the best way possible. Because Linda calls, or Brian calls off the top of the show, 27 cents a litre cheaper just on the other side of the Gulf. There are some big questions looming here. It's, and I think it's a good first step, as I mentioned. We should be able to speak directly to the decision makers at the Petroleum Price Setting Panel, get some elaboration. But the emailer makes an important point. Just understanding the recipe doesn't make the end result taste any better. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. So let's get, let's get the first step done. But then let's very quickly, while we have public hearings and we get an elaboration, then let's ask the big one. Are we even on the right track? Understanding what might, what might be the wrong process doesn't really get us any further ahead. But look, there's endless examples of conversations and topics that we can discuss. It's up to you to provoke them right here on the program. If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial is 273-5211 or elsewhere, toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. We're taking a break and then we're coming back. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. Welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Margaret. You're on the air. Good morning, sir. I called you there a while ago when we heard that the seniors, 75 years old and over, would get a 10% raise in July. Yep. And I uh, I asked about, you know, what... Uh, what would happen uh, with the tax part? And it seemed like no one can tell me, but we got $1,000 last year, my husband and myself, and uh, we lost 40 odd dollars each check off of our GST this year. So if we got to put in what the 10% they give us, we're going to lose our GST after this year. Well, of course, GST uh, rebate is based on income, but there's, you know, there's a few things that people were worried about as to whether or not any of the, the additional monies coming would jeopardize things like their drug card, and the Premier's office told us no. So I guess they've had to adjust all kinds of thresholds, but when it, as it pertains to the federal government and any additional monies you get, yeah, when it comes in as income, it's going to have a, an impact on guaranteed income supplement, possibly, and or drug cards provincially, so yeah, you're right, there's lots of questions that people are still asking as to, you know, whether the 10% makes actually makes your life better and easier. Yeah, definitely, because it's not, uh, you know, the GST is four times a year. Well, you had it up, like, we, we just got the, we got the 1000 Well, we lost $40 this year. Well, if we're, we're going to get more than $1,000, so, I mean, we're going to lose. We're not getting uh, the full amount of GST. Some people is, but we only get only used to get about a hundred, couple hundred, well, a couple hundred dollars. But it's cut back now, right? And uh, they, the first thing the federal government, when I called over to the executive assistant, she said, "No, your old age pension and that is not taxable." But it, it, yeah. it all got to be counted with the GST. Well, that's right. Uh, the taxable part is separate from what your level of income is to determine whether or not you qualify for, like, the guaranteed income supplement and what your GST rebate will be. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely. So, I mean, you know, people don't understand. The people that were 65 years old and over was really upset when we was getting, but we're not going to get much. I don't know if we're going to get any more than what they're going to get because they're going to take our GST. So, you know, we're going to end up... With not much more than what we're getting now, because the little bit of raise they gave us last was, as of now, I mean, only adds up to about five, six dollars every three months on our old age pension. 
Yeah, I mean, some things, they sound good, they feel good, but what it actually means at the end of the month or the year is a different question. Like even some of the provincial uh, additional top-ups we saw. The seniors that are eligible for the seniors' benefit, which is about 50,000 seniors in the province, so they move from like 1355 to 1444 annually. So when you break that down per month, it's 10 bucks. Now, 10 bucks is 10 bucks, but is that changing the uh, ability for seniors to do whatever, to pay for the prescriptions or to pay their bills or to pay their, fill up their tank for their uh, home heating fuels? Not really. So it all sounds like there's money's being given, but what kind of difference is it actually making? Uh, not a big lot. <laughs> that, that's like oil. Now, I mean, we're seniors. We burn all oil, right? And, you know, the other year they did give a little rebate to people. But there was people that maybe had one one oil filler for a year because they were burning their... But because they had that one bill, yeah. they could send in and, and get the rebate. Get, the rebate that the government gave. But I mean, I sent in one bill, yes, fine. But I mean, I had a bill every month. I didn't have one bill in 12 months. You understand what I mean? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, and so, you know, I mean, they they could they could help the people that's on complete hours. I'll wait for to say, well, you know, turn to liquid eat and that, but it's going to cost us uh, three or $4,000 to comp- uh, turn over to liquid eat. And which is a lot of money right now for us, you know. So, I mean, uh, anyone burning oil completely, I don't even know now because, like the man was saying, I think it was on your line yesterday, the day before, uh, the oil truck wouldn't come with 300 That's what we used to have, $350 every month. I don't know if he'll come this month for 350 Yeah, some of that is changing too, right, which is extremely painful. The issue there is funny one because most of the big uh, home heating oil delivery companies they use subcontractors right so the delivery drivers get paid by the amount of liters that they produce or pardon me that they uh, pull out every day and every week so unless they get the reasonable amount on the order they, I guess they think it kind of feels like a waste of their time. So sometimes it's not even companies. It's the fact that they got all these independent drivers that are making those types of decisions pretty much. But, yeah, you know, when people are deciding how they're going to spend their few dollars and it's you can't even afford to get the little top-up in your tank, and when the top-up top up should happen is all becoming extremely unmanageable for so many people. Oh, definitely. I mean, two-thirds, I was going to say two-thirds of Newfoundland. Practically, I know some community I live in is mostly seniors. And and when we were raising our family, uh, we didn't have money to put away. Uh, your, my husband was only getting $5 an hour. Right. You know, so, I mean, uh, now they make big money. Yes, a lot of the younger people is really not worrying about it. But, I mean, we're worrying about it because we just get our basic old-age pension and a little bit of supplement, and and our drugs is triple to what it was when we were younger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to the point, well, what do I do? Do I get the drugs the doctor tells me I should have, or do I not? Yes, I mean, it's getting to the point now, you know, that you're going to have to pick and choose. We're not too bad, I suppose. It's just me and my husband. And, I mean, uh, you know, we try our very best. It's not like we had more, more family here right now. But, I mean, uh, we, can't, we can't fill up our car every week. Mm-hmm. We just can't do it. And I'm not too bad off either when it comes to this stuff, but we've made 
decisions in the recent past based on how expensive everything is. I drive a bigger vehicle, but now I'm commuting to work with my wife's vehicle, which is much more economical on fuel. So I, I guess there's a lot of people that are doing different things. Like we'd even sometimes in the past enjoy going out for a zip around or on the weekend, maybe go down to Chafe Standing and Petty Harbor for a bite. But those types of things just don't seem like they're on the agenda any longer. No, we're, we're the same thing. Yeah. We usually always used to go for a ride or something, but I mean, in our area, it's only a small community we got to go to a bigger place even to get our groceries. So you got to have gas in your car for that. And I mean, a lot of people that say, yes, there is people go to food bank. We never went in our life, and that's not half a story. We're not going to go with it. We're going to be good and all, right? Yep. Give it to someone who really needs it. But the families, with, with, big, with big families, they're going to need it. Working or not working, they're definitely going to need it. Because, I mean, you know, everything, like gas, gas has gone beyond talking about in Newfoundland now, and oil, the same thing. Oil is going to go up five or six cents again to, uh, tonight or tomorrow. And, I mean, it's pretty bad when you get 75, 80 years old, got to be cold. Yes, ma'am. I completely understand where you're coming from, Margaret. So would you like to say anything else this morning? No, that's fine. Thanks. Well, Thank if you, you don't mind me asking, what community are you calling from? You don't have to tell me, obviously. No, I don't want to. Okay, no, no problem at all. It's nice to speak to you this morning. Stay in touch. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Yeah, and <laughs> it's not up to me to tell anybody what they should or should not be doing. Of course it's not. But even something like you see, which is quite popular in many parts of the world, when you see even a lane that's designated for the carpoolers, you know, I don't think a lot of that actually goes on here, but I would think that where we are and the cost of stuff now, people are doing things that they would have never considered in the past. Never. You know, so, again, and I know this conversation has been uh, pretty relentless ab about the price of fuels and stuff, and there's obviously so much going on in the province and the country that whatever you think is of interest to you or might be of interest to anybody else, you should call the program during this break to get in the queue and on the air. Let's take a break. Don't go away. And welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Dave. You're on the air. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the show, Dave. What's on your mind? Uh, just a quick comment. I know one of your pet peeves is garbage around, <laughs> and it's mine as well. Uh, yesterday, I was going out the outer ring road just west of the Allendale Road access, and there was a, a garbage truck, big white garbage truck. So it wasn't the city of St. John's, but I don't know, it was a private one or one of the other smaller communities. So it was broken down on the side of the road. And uh, in, instead of having the normal triangular warning signs behind it, I guess they had set up a little uh, uh, stool behind the garbage truck with a uh, reflective jacket, you know, the safety jackets with the X's on it that you see the various people working around the uh, roads and whatnot wearing. Mm -hmm. so, so I drive in there this morning, and actually I'm on the, on the outer ring road right now. The garbage truck is gone, so they either got to start it or tow it away. But guess what? they left the garbage there with that old piece of wood and the uh, old jacket <sighs> man oh man you know, because even if the garbage truck on their way to the bloody dump and they leave that around yeah completely unnecessary because i mean here's a garbage truck even if it right. can't move an inch on its own steam it can still <laughs> throw the garbage in it exactly yeah and that is it. one of the things that is drive drives me nuts driving around seeing the garbage it's like convenience stores you can't find a garbage can in front of a convenience store in the city 
So you think every kid that's coming out of that store with a receipt or a bit of bag of chips or whatever is taking, putting that garbage in their pocket and taking it home? No, probably not. And not only kids, adults as well. Adults as well, yes. Yeah, you know, the garbage can is an interesting one because it's, I think ridiculous to not have a garbage can outside but it's even more ridiculous to have the garbage bin out there but it's constantly full and overflowing so i mean both are i don't they're i don't understand either of those approaches but of course and then people will say well it's the coffee cup company's fault or it's the fast food restaurant's fault no it's not they didn't sell you the coffee cup to throw it on the ground they sold you the coffee to drink Exactly. And uh, it's interesting if you drive, there's three b- bigger names in St. John's of convenience stores, one of which is a franchise out of a, a major supermarket chain. That These stores, every one of them have garbage cans in front of them. But the two local uh, uh, franchises or local stores, they do not. Not one of them. So it gives you a, a sense of what kind of pride they have in our community. Yeah, and you know, the argument they'll make in-house is that, well, if I provide that service, I've got to provide a staffer to maintain that service, which is so lame, right? I mean, pride of place and the pride of your own, even your own property, is something that distinguishes one business from another. One of the places where I go shop is terrible outside. I mean, it's a great shop inside, but out around in their parking lot and stuff is up to your neck. I bet you there's no garbage can. Not one. Not outside. A couple inside, <laughs> close outside. by the door, but not outside. Not outside. Yeah. So, anyway, I just had to give you a call on that one. I appreciate your time, Dave. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. You too, sir. Bye-bye. Okay, where would you like me to go? David, I don't know how what order anything popped in this thing. Let's go to line number five. Good morning, Al. You're on the air. Good day, sir. How are you? Grand. Thank you. How about you? Oh, could be better, could be worse, let me tell you. What's happening? I was, uh, I was just on a recent trip to uh, Manila in the Philippines. Okay. I'm on my way back from uh, coming back to Canada. I, I got left stranded by Air Canada. Yeah, I canceled my ticket, rebooked me with another airline, and did not inform me of these changes. So I was left there at the airport, nowhere to go, nowhere to call, and no way to get a ticket to come home. And nothing Air Canada would do about it. So how did you get stranded? They canceled your flight, a mechanical issue? Like, what constitutes being stranded? I I don't know why, because usually I get notices on my email, and I check my notices every day, making sure that the flight is still available to go. The last email I got from Air Canada was saying your flight is still still a go from uh, Manila to Dubai, from Dubai to Toronto, from Toronto to Deer Lake, and then from Deer Lake, well, then I'd be home. Uh, so they canceled. When I got to the airport at 10:30 in the morning at Terminal One in Manila, I was going through the gate, that, you know, to get checked in. They said there was no flight going to Dubai. I said, well, my ticket says I got a flight at 12.40. So, th- no, that was canceled. Uh, so they said they go up and see Philippine Airlines, because that was the one that Air Canada booked me through, was Philippine Airlines. So I went up and see them. They said, no, sir, your flight was canceled. Then after about 10 minutes talking to them, they, they said, sir, your flight has been rebooked for 7 o'clock in the morning. Here it is now almost 11.30 in the morning. 
So I had they never notified me of this of this of this change to my flight. So I missed the flight. Find out that when I did get to Toronto, they revoked my ticket within two hours. Air Canada revoked my ticket. I said, why would you revoke my ticket? Because you didn't show up. I said, if I didn't show up, maybe there was an excuse I didn't show up. Maybe there was a car accident. Maybe I was in the hospital. Maybe I missed a ride or something. He automatically revoked my ticket. Strange. So only for my sister-in-law that happened to be there at the same time, she had to pay. She ended up pay, said, Al, we're not going to leave you here stranded in Manila. It cost $3,500 one way to get me home. And, Air, and then when I did get to Toronto, I called Air Canada. They wouldn't even pay for my ticket to go from Toronto to Deer Lake. They wouldn't help in any way whatsoever. They, and, and I said, well, you guys always send me emails saying that uh, if there's a change or if there's a flight delay or for whatever reason, I'll always get an email. So they, they said to me, sir, we sent you an email back in March. I said, what does that email say? She said, I don't know what it says. Well, why are you telling me about it if you don't know what it says? <laughs> Fair enough. Make any sense? Make any sense? And plus, if a flight in May and an update in March, I suppose if they know that far in advance that that particular route has been taken off the schedule or whatever, okay. But the email should also include what we're doing about it. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. I mean, when when and I went back into into the into the five emails I got in March. I went back to them, and there's not one email that says that my flight was changed from Philippine Airlines to Emirates Airlines. Not one. And not one email saying that my flight has been changed to a different time. Nothing. Well, if it was changed to a different time, I certainly would have showed up to the airport on time to catch my flight. I don't want to get stranded in a foreign country, never there before in my life. I mean, Air Air Canada really screwed me over this time. I tell you, they did a, they, they and their customer service is unbelievable. I mean, they wouldn't do a thing. Once I did get to talk to them, they wouldn't do a thing to help me. Not a, not a thing. Uh, just before we uh, move off to the news, what uh, brought you to Manila? My girlfriend. Oh, cool. I got a girlfriend over there. Yeah, so I went over. To, I went over to see her. The Philippines is a fascinating place anyway, and I actually spoke about it one day this week, I can't remember which day, that they're actually electing a Marcos to be the president. Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah, it is. It is. After after what happened, you know, back in the back in the 80s. Well, I mean, it's not just the fact that Ferdinand Marcos stole I, the number somewhere around $10 billion or something, I guess, is the guesstimate. But also, the country lived under martial law for years. People for got years. disappeared every day. It's just day. something else, by. But I, uh, someone sent me a clip. I, it might have been from... Uh, 
this week tonight, John Oliver. It was something about the way that they've rewritten history so that many young children in school have no earthly idea what happened and have been taught that, you know, maybe martial law was good for the people, made them more prosperous and what have you. But, I mean, here's Bong Bong, uh, Ferdinand Jr., and even his track record as a, a member of Congress is less than impressive, but lo and behold, he wins by a large margin. I think the current vice president, a lady named Robredo, an actual human rights activist, she got beaten, and then boxing legend Manny Pacquiao was third place on the ballot as they counted 97% of the votes, but I find that to be just fascinating. It's amazing. Well, yeah. I'll tell you that the, the vice president is the the current, the, well, the president that just left, what's his name, Duce? How do, du- I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Duarte. Uh, yes, well, that's his daughter is now the vice president. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, an interesting country, and even you know, for a, a president of a country like the Philippines, that Duterte, Duarte, or however you actually pronounce it, yes, the yes. foul mouth and the way he gets on is just something oh, else. Oh, oh, who do you remind you of? Who do you remind you of? Trump. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Alice, I'm sorry you had the difficult travels that you did, but I appreciate making time for the show this morning. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You take care. Same to you. All right. Bye-bye. Stranded by Air Canada. Remember the story there a couple of weeks ago, or whatever it was, that Air Canada just kind of left a 14-year-old child to their own device at Pearson International Airport? So there's always going to be a time when flights get delayed or postponed or canceled, or medical, uh, pardon me, mechanical issues, weather, or whatever. But when you have such a duty, an obligation, to not only the traveling public at large, but to children... And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, this teenager, 14-year-old, standing there in Pearson, what now? You know, it's one thing if you've been around the world and you're, uh, you know, a, a savvy traveler and you know what to expect, you know what to do, you have options that you can explore. But a 14-year-old is left wandering around Pearson International and no help from the airline. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, Bill's in the queue to talk about fuels and then Rhonda we've mentioned this story in the past I can't remember her surname off the top of my head maybe Watkins she had to make the choice to go to the back of the cupboard and take life-saving insulin the problem was it's expired let's take a break don't go away your VOCM mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy 530 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM welcome back to the show let's go line number two Dave yes go line number two Bill you're on the air Morning, Patty. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. How you doing? Uh, like everybody else, I guess, trying to survive. Uh, it's, it's a handful. You know, Patty, there was a time when if some Arab over in Saudi Arabia broke wind the wrong way, our gas prices would go up. Uh, we never hear tell of that Saudi Arabia or any of those anymore. They, these oil companies, which are racking in billions of dollars, this first quarter, they come up with every excuse in the book to nail us for gas and oil. Uh, and we have a government here in Newfoundland. Siobhan Cody gets on every day and comes up with this. We can't do anything about it. We, it's, it's global, and we can't sure they can do lots about it. But the people of this province are so stunned to listen to their bull crap they can do lots, and then they go and take, uh, give us uh, uh, half off on our on our registration on our vehicles. Not even enough 
for me. I live in Pasadena on the West Coast. It costs me, and I have a new vehicle that's good on fuel. It costs me $25 to go from Pasadena to Cornerbrook to buy a, a grocery shop or whatever and come back. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's about time that Fury and her put their nose to the grindstone and figure out some way to tackle these prices. Even the PUB board, according to the the guy that does the gas prices, don't even know what they're doing. It's ridiculous, Patty. I mean, somebody has got to help Newfoundlanders to come to grips with this. Okay, so I, I don't argue with the basic premise, but let's just put this out there. So the last bit of cost of living support that the government put out, you know, the so-called five-point plan, two of which were not really helping the folks who actually needed the help. You know, that's the transition your home from oil to electric and or electric vehicle subsidies. But the minister says that costs $142 million. The reality is we had to borrow that $142 million. So what do you make of the argument of, well, if you want me to do something for you here, we're just going to get it from you somewhere else. And it might indeed just be an increase. Well, I'll just finish my point, then I'll let you talk. Um, we just might result in borrowing more money, which does indeed kind of have a ripple effect that doesn't help the rest of yeah, the, the rest of the Yeah, but you know what? You keep, you keep coming up with that argument all the time. It's not me. It's it. not my argument. I actually react no, to no, what the minister no, said. I, I, I know, but you do. But anyway... What is the government doing with all the profits, the money they're pulling in from the high gas prices and oil prices now? They won't even take the bloody HST off for us. They won't even take the five cents from from the the, the, the refinery out there. And I can go on and on and on. I mean, they keep coming up. We can't do anything. Sure, they can do anything. But they wouldn't run you know what. And I'm serious. I'm really upset. And I try not to be. But they don't know what they're doing. They okay. can find money for everything else, but they cannot do something about these high gas prices. We are getting rogue. And I come back and reiterate to you again, why are these oil companies making billions of dollars on our backs? Why? Why? Are you asking me? That one. Well, if, if they're in such dire straits and, and about fuel and all that, why are they making billions profit? Answer me, Patty. Why? Well, how the hell am I supposed to answer that? Plus, I have no idea how you think that I'm making an argument no, about borrowing. You, I'm painting. But listen, don't you think there's something wrong when these companies are making billions of dollars and we're paying tooth and nail to put a drop of gas or buy a bit of growth? Well, considering the fact that I, I make that point absolutely every single day, then I'm not so sure what else I can add to it. I'm not attacking you personally, Patty. I'm just trying to you know, figure out why this is going on and why our government is sitting back and not even taking... And in the PUB board, oil went down almost $13 a barrel in two days, and they go and jack the price up 11.3 cents, couldn't even wait till tonight. And now, you know, like, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy what they're doing to us. And every Newfoundlander in this province should get up and speak up and say enough is enough. We need something done here. I just had to take my wife to St. John's to see a dermatologist, which we don't have on the West Coast, and it cost me $400 in gas to go there and back. Absolutely ridiculous. And there's many more. I spoke with a gentleman uh, at the doctor's office while I was in there. was from the West Coast as well, and he, he was 
dumbfounded. He didn't know what he was going to do. His wife had cancer, skin cancer, and he has to travel back and forth all the time uh, to St. John's. And he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's costing me. I can't do it anymore. Now, this is the state we're in, in this province. If I was a young man again, I'd get the hell out of Newfoundland as fast as I could. I'm sorry for getting upset, Patty, but it really torments me. I think it torments a lot of folks. Um, you know, a, a couple of things to what you just said there. It's not only the cost of living-related issues, but even something like a dermatologist. The only dermatologists in the province are all in St. John's. Yes. Yeah, correct. that's another issue, I suppose. And also, and also, we spoke with Dr. Coffey in there as well. He said he would love to come to the West Coast, but the government won't give him any doctors. He can't do it alone because it's too much work for him alone. Now, that's the state we're in. Uh, where's Hagee to on this, getting a dermatologist over here? I called about this before. W w why can't they get somebody over here on the West Coast? This is a big island, and there's more people on this island than in St. John's, I can assure you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, we need this over here. And and yesterday you had a lady on talking about having to travel for uh, – for kidney dialysis and stuff. I mean, this is crazy. This is not correct. This shouldn't be. And it's about time everybody spoke up instead of sitting back on their asses and doing and saying nothing. They talk about everything else on open line, but very few people talk about the state this province is in. Really? It seems to I me. It seems to me that's part of the dominant conversation pretty much every uh, show, isn't it? Recently, yes, because people are just don't know what to do anymore. People are, are, the price of groceries are gone to hell in a handbasket. You can't drive anywhere. It's, I don't know. It, I don't know where it's going to end, but there don't seem to be any help coming from our present government. Point taken, or points taken, Bill. I appreciate the time. Thank you for the call. Thanks, I appreciate you listening to me. Take good care of yourself. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, I think we do a fair bit. Look, as it relates to profits at oil companies, I mean, I think we've broken down every time we hear a quarter, first quarter report. It's one of the first things we mention. And I make the relationship into the just woeful political discourse, especially on the national stage, where they're trying to make political hay on something like inflation and who's responsible and never factoring in, and I guess that's where their bread is buttered, right, donations-wise and, and probably other factors, is Bill is right. The profitability of the oil companies is, you know, I was going to say obscene. Profit's not a bad thing. Profit's not a bad word. But while our eye is taken off of that particular piece of the prize, and we talk about, you know, the Bank of Canada, which is part of the conversation, and government policy, which is part of the conversation, but boy, oh boy, to not factor in the billions of dollars being raked in quarterly in profits by the oil companies, how that's not part of more, more a part of the conversation is remarkable to me. And even folks who went absolutely haywire when the federal environment minister, uh, Stephen Gibo, suggested that the companies that are making such enormous profits should reinvest into things that is actually part of their future. You know, carbon capture, carbon storage, these types of things. Massive tax credits on the table. Massive. 50 to 60% of, of cost, capital cost, 
to implement such protocols and processes is covered by the federal government tax subsidy. Not good enough. <laughs> Something else. Let's go ahead and take a break. We appreciate Rhonda's patience. We'll get back to her right after this. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number four. Good morning, Rhonda. You're on the air. Hello, Mr. Daly and patience. Yeah, that's a skill I've learned. No worries there. <laughs> <laughs> it's one I've had to learn as well, Rhonda. Welcome to the show, and we do appreciate your patience. Uh, so you and I have exchanged a couple of emails, and your story has been covered in the media. Go ahead and paint the picture of what's going on in your world regarding the forced being forced to take expired insulin. Well, bear with me because I'm kind of new to speaking out publicly. Um, well, I uh, was uh, diagnosed in 2007 with a condition, I can't pronounce it, FAP. It's a genetic condition. I'm the index case of my family, and my two sons have it as well. They both had surgeries, successfully reversed uh, temporary ostomy story at the time. Um, my first surgery was fine. However, uh, polyps um, developed after the surgery, uh, hence the uh, ileostomy, and about um, a couple of months after, shortly past uh, into January, um, I, uh, whew, well, I don't know what was going on. I was losing weight. I was just whatever. Anyway, long and short, diabetes diagnosis, long-term disability continued. I could never go back to work. And when um, my employees uh, insurance plan, the, the members decided that the premiums were too expensive, so they voted to not have it anymore. So uh, I had a year to prepare, and I done what I could, but you can only purchase so many meds within a short period or a certain period of time. So I found out about the drug program, and I followed through, applied, and, you know, I received 40% coverage roughly, and uh, I really didn't realize how much that was because I just kept – I had to spend the money, and I just kept spending. And I guess when it finally came down to uh, a letter being sent out saying that, um, you know, you got to reapply again. So I did. And then it was, well, yeah, the copay is 93, which means I got to pay 93% now. And then it was, no, I'm not eligible. And that was in 2018 when the final, the final denial was received. Which changed everything for you and your family. So, oh my goodness. if I remember correctly, so it was not just the cost of insulin, it was also your ostomy supplies. And so, consequently, when you know the unfortunate reality for so many Canadians is they're making these real life altering choices whether they buy or take, uh, take the prescriptions or take a half a dose or take expired insulin versus having to pay for their ostomy supplies, which keeps you alive and your organs functioning. So, you one day. You go to the cupboard, and you take out a box of expired insulin. What's going through your mind at that moment? Well, do or die. And, uh, it, well, it started the summer before when I was denied. Like, I started then uh, weaning myself off. I was on, I'm, I'm not on any medications I was previous because I had to slowly take away the ones that I thought I could, you know, do without and then it was another one I couldn't afford I mean I had to have the insulin the ostomy supplies and the sensors like there's no you know there's no getting away from that one so it had the meds had to go the vitamins had to go the, the mediocre mediocre eating had to go and then it was like okay just before Christmas I need uh, two 
packages of five vials of insulin, so any long-acting, any fast-acting. They're $130 for each, and I need a sensor. If I don't have a sensor, everything goes. So I said, well, you know, all right, let's try the insulin. I got to. I reached out to my to the the powers that be, and they did, I guess, what they could with the tools they are provided. But that's what has to change is the equation. That that's the long that's that's the line for the drug program that has to be changed. But insulin was never intended to be made a profit made from, and this is wrong. Absolutely, it's wrong. So it's a very difficult time for you and your family. But sometimes when these difficult circumstances uh, arise, you finally get some support, whether it be from the public, which might be just emotional support. But that has happened. What has been the reaction? There's no words that can express the amount of feedback I've had it's absolutely amazing. My faith in humanity is restored beyond, beyond, beyond. The first person to reach out was this gentleman, Michael Band, And, oh, my God, I just bawled. And he, a few short emails, and he had a Facebook page, whatever. I'm, I'm new to doing that thing, too. So, And uh, we have a Facebook group to support Diabetics, Newfoundlanders, whoever, it's just for positivity and to spread the awareness of this is dire, but we don't have to do it in an angry way. Let's be positive. We're Newfoundlanders, guys. We got spirit and we can do anything we put our mind together. So our Facebook group is the Newfoundland and Labrador Diabetic Support Group. And Mr. Michael Band is the spark to ignite this and God love his heart. Well, all we, we are getting, sorry, our goal is for positive change, for sharing, for caring, and the change we first want to do. We demand insulin to be provided to all Newfoundlanders and Labradorans, period, period. We, we the residents of Newfoundland, are definitely worth it. You know, there's debates happening all the time about what should and should not be covered. And inside the world of diabetics, you know, the test strips, and that was a big argument there a few years ago. And Mm -hmm. insulin is just so extraordinarily expensive. Thankfully, it's not like it is in the United States, which is just simply completely unreal. And that's a pretty low bar to measure against. But hopefully some of these, you know, these support groups and this uh, joining of forces and the strength in numbers will see some changes because, again... We're the only country on the face of the earth with universal pharmacare and a population, or pardon me, universal health care with a population over 10 million that doesn't have universal pharmacare. And people are making decisions that may indeed harm them irreparably. And who knows what it's going to be make uh, mean for you, but I sure hope that you're okay. I'm glad you made time for this program to tell your story. Would you like to say anything else while we have you this morning, Rhonda? Oh, my goodness. I just want to give a shout-out, like I said, to Michael Ban. Jim Din is amazing, and he is helping us to draft a petition to help us get our goal of getting insulin covered for Newfoundlanders and Labradorans. And I'm, like I say, I'm a real newbie at this, so I'm hoping everybody got patience. But if there's anything I do on this earth, 
I hope this is the one thing that everybody will help me in doing. Because it's not just for me. I'm just a little tiny person after hearing the stories out there from all these people. And I know there's so many that don't have access to Facebook and stuff. And we want to hear from all of those people. We so do. And if there's any friends that they know that got computers, we welcome you all. Please join us. We are so happy to have you. And we just want to share positivity. I appreciate this this morning, Rhonda. Stay in touch. I will. And thank you so much, Mr. Daly. You enjoy your day. The very same to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, something else. Will I take Annie quick? Okay. Last word goes to line one. Annie, you're on the air. Yeah, Patty, I haven't spoke to you in a while. Like, I just wanted to respond very quickly now. Time is up. There's channels, you know, that people can go through past the family doctor's office. Uh, a past um, Newfoundland Labrador drug prescription program that takes you right straight to drug companies. You could have the, you could, you could get help in a specialist office because they knows they knows the road there. The other thing I want to say to you is, uh, I know what I'm talking about. I'm in a situation with my husband. I spoke this to you before. Uh, I've been down the road through those channels, straight to drug company. Uh, knows how to get ostomy supplies. That's provided as well go through family doctor, go through uh, health and community services offices. And uh, a lot of the rigmarole I'll say that, and the push around and the shove around that you get in some of them places like this lady is speaking about, you got to know how to navigate it to get where you're going to get what you want. You're, you're right on the money there, Annie. I wish we had more time to elaborate on that, but as you rightfully point out, we're up against 12 noon, but thanks for this, Annie. Hope you're well. I'm well, and Patty, I'm just going to say this to you. If I were to speak to you about this again, I'd put my thoughts together better to lay out exactly what to do. Well, you get your thoughts together and call us anytime. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Take care. All right, bye-bye. And we will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.